couple things in the message. Uh, one is uh, I, I want to equip you with the gospel. The passage we're going to look at today, uh, it's very direct. It's very clear about that. And so I hope that I can equip you today uh, with the gospel. But the second thing I hope to do today is I want to encourage you with the gospel. Some of us need to be equipped with the gospel. We need to be kind of met with that truth and that reality. But some of us, we need to be encouraged with the gospel. And that's the beautiful thing about scripture is it speaks it speaks loudly. It speaks boldly into our life. You know, many of us might feel ill-equipped when it comes to the gospel just because we're not familiar with the gospel. Uh, but also, we might feel ill-equipped to share the gospel because we don't feel like we know the gospel. And then that can cause other sort of uh, domino effects in our life. Uh, many of us might feel ill-encouraged by the gospel because of the former. We don't feel like we really know the gospel. And so we're not encouraged by the gospel. You following me yet? Uh, and so, so it just kind of turns into this cycle. But, but many times what can happen in our lives if we're not careful is this. Many times we can become ill-encouraged and we can certainly feel ill-equipped in the gospel because doubt can begin to set into our lives. We can begin to have questions that maybe people around us or we're, we're, we're turning and looking for answers and, and it just seems like we, we, we can't get the answers we're looking for. And so doubt begins to set in, uncertainty begins to set in. Have you ever had, let's, church family, right? Have you ever had moments of doubt? Raise your hand if you have. Anybody have moments of doubt about your faith, about life? See, look, here's what I want to say is if you've had a moment of doubt and if you're watching from home and couldn't see that hands all over the room. It's like a, like a Baptist preacher's salvation altar call right there. Hands going up all over the room. I can say that because I was in a Baptist church for a long time. Um, hands were all up because we have doubts. It's a natural part of our, of our following Jesus. It's a natural part of a formation in our life that we would have doubts uh, around us. And here's what I want to say. You're not alone. Hopefully that was evident just then is that you are not alone in those moments and seasons of doubt. And, and what can be hard about doubt is this, is that the world sort of feels like it gets brighter and louder and noisier and, and it just makes more commotion. And sometimes those, 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 those areas of doubt, they just kind of get pushed into the corners of our life, don't they? And we don't tend to them. We don't, we don't deal with them. So today I hope to equip and I hope to encourage you. We are in this season of Epiphany, which is the kind of the second portion of the uh, traditional sort of church calendar. It begins with Advent, then Epiphany, and then Lent, and then we move into a season of celebration with Easter. And, and this series called Proclamation is all about the announcement of King Jesus and the implications, what it means for our lives as we, as we go through this very sort of dark and confused and, and, and in many ways sort of hopeless world that's looking for hope constantly. And the proclamation of King Jesus has radical, 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 radical um, implications for our life. You know, this, what we're going to be looking at today is um, Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth. First Corinthians is what we call it. And um, in this section, he is actually dealing with some doubts that have set in into the church. So it's very natural for us to kind of begin to talk about doubts and the, the implications of doubts in our life. And in this section, he is going to equip and he is going to encourage that church by proclaiming the truth of the gospel, that it is actually the foundation of our faith. So if you're a note taker, 
I want to, I want to tell you where we're going this morning. Uh, and you're not going to have time to write them all down right now, but then you'll be able to catch up when we get there. All the people in the room who are the teachers are looking at me just grinning ear to ear. They're like, oh, notes. I love it when you do this. The first one is this. We're going to be equipped and encouraged today by seeing that the resurrection of King Jesus is good news. But also that the resurrection of King Jesus is the foundation of our faith. And then the resurrection of King Jesus is God's plan A. We're also going to see this morning that the resurrection of King Jesus was not a private event. And we're going to see that the resurrection of King Jesus has powerful implications for you. It has powerful implications for our lives. So like I do every week, I want to ask you to stand with me as we read God's word this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we're going to read these first 11 verses. This is Paul writing, closing out this first letter to the church at Corinth. He says this, now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you've believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as a first importance. And here it is that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the 12. And then after he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle. Why? Because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach and this is what you believed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You can be seated. You see, what is more likely happening, more than likely that's what's happening here in this uh, section uh, and what's happening in this church is that the idea of the resurrection of Jesus, tell me if this doesn't sound familiar or not, that the idea of the resurrection of Jesus just doesn't fit nicely within the cult, current cultural worldview that the church at Corinth finds himself in. That believing in the resurrection would actually set their faith so far outside of what was culturally normative at the time that some people within the church there were having a hard time really coming to grips with this and wrapping their mind around it. So we want to let Paul's words do for us what Paul's words did for them, equip and encourage them. And he begins this section here by saying that the resurrection of King Jesus is good news. The resurrection of King Jesus, it is good, good news. He says this in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 2. He says this, now brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise... 
You have believed in vain. The resurrection of King Jesus is good news. Now you may say, okay, there's, there's, some, there's some language in here. There's some terms in here. Let's make sure we understand what we're talking about. The, the gospel simply translated means this, good news. And in this context, it, it's, become a gospel, it's become a religious term over the last 2,000 years. But in Paul's context, it was not a religious term. In Paul's context, it was actually a term that was most often associated with some type of military or political conquest. And what would happen is, is there would be a, an evangelizer, a, 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 an evangelist that would ride into the town and would make a declaration of the good news, that there was in fact a new king who had won the victory. And this was going to bring all types of either joy or depending upon if the neighboring village was the losing village in the conquest, maybe fear. And, and the early church began to say, you know what? That really makes a lot of sense in our context that, that King Jesus, this resurrected king, that his message, that the Messiah's message is in fact good news. Not only is it good news, it is the best news. And in many ways, we miss this in kind of our American culture a lot of times, but we miss the subversive nature of terms like gospel in the New Testament. We miss the subversive nature of terms like Lord in the New Testament. We miss the subversive nature of terms like king in the New Testament. Why? Because those were all political, military conquest terms. So it was as if the the, the, you know, Caesar is Lord. And then this new band of believers, this new ragtag group of people come along and say, no, 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 no. Jesus is Lord. He's in fact the one true king. And they took this idea of the gospel and they began to think, it was almost like they were saying, oh, you think you have good news about a military conquest? Let me tell you, we have the best news. Wait until you hear ours. And this good news is the news that Jesus, King Jesus, is actually king. This is one of the, if you've been here around at Grace Hill for a while, it's one of the reasons over the last year you've heard me incorporate that term when, when I describe Jesus more often than not. And it's for two reasons. One, it's, it's a reminder for us, just as a, as a, as a, as a, as a body of believers, that King Jesus is, is not just a, a, a king that came and stayed in a, in a manger, he conquered sin and death. But it's also a reminder for me personally, because let's be honest, there can be so many times where I'm tempted to put something or someone else on the throne. And every time I say King Jesus, it's a reminder. Is he really? Oh, he is. But in my life, it's, it's, a, it's almost like a moment of account accountability for me. Is he really king? Is he really, another way to word it, Lord of my life? Is there anything else that is competing for that spot? Or is he king Jesus? Paul wants to make it very clear that the gospel, this gospel, it is good news. But he also wants to make something else very clear, that, that it only becomes good news for you when it is, in fact, received. He says that. Paul says, which, in fact, which you received. This message of the gospel must first be believed, 
And that can be tricky sometimes because doubt can set in. And Paul communicates here that it also needs to be received. And Paul communicates, he received as well. Verse 3, he says that. He says, I received this. I received this gospel of good news that King Jesus is actually Lord, that he is the Messiah, that he is the one true king. Paul didn't make this up, and he's reminding them here in this moment. This is not something that he invented. This is not some fabrication of his imagination. I love the, the, the famous preacher in the 1800s, Charles Spurgeon. He says this, we are not makers and inventors. We are repeaters. We tell the message that we have received. Paul emphasizes this in Galatians 1. He says this, he says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. It, it didn't originate with, with, with a, this early group of followers of Jesus. It's not of human origin. He goes on in verse 12 and says, I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4, he says, For what I received, I passed on to you as a first importance. And what was it that he passed on? This gospel that he shared, that he had received, that he believed in, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to to the scriptures. You see, this gospel that Paul received and that he believed was simply this. Christ has died. Christ was buried. Christ was raised. And the gospel, the news, the word, the proclamation of the resurrection of King Jesus is good news. N.T. Wright, he says this in his commentary on 1 Corinthians. He says, it isn't just that Jesus is Messiah, that he's been raised from the dead, but that we know Jesus is the Messiah and we announce him as such because he has been raised from the dead. It's only the resurrection that makes the crucifixion appear anything other than a horrible end for another failed Messiah. That is good news. The resurrection of King Jesus is good news. But Paul also tells us here this. The second one is this, is the resurrection of King Jesus is the foundation of our faith. Now, I want to read these first four verses in Corinthians 15 again, just to sort of set the stage in the context. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you've believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as first importance, that Christ died for your sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. You see, this is the heart. This gets to the very heart of the Christian creed and the very foundation of our faith. I want to say to you this morning is that if you struggle with doubt, 
and you struggle with how to reconcile some of the things that people say about Scripture, some of the things that you don't quite understand, I want to say that this, for the Christian faith, is our foundation. That the resurrected King Jesus, that that news of the resurrected King Jesus is the foundation of our faith. That Christ died for your sins. And this is good news for us. And let me be very clear. This is what Jesus came to die for. To reconcile us back to God in obedience according to the Father. And and here's the, the brutal truth about this. It means that if Jesus had to come and die for our sins, it means that we are people that are sinners. It really puts us kind of in our place, doesn't it? To ponder that and to think about that. And that's not really something that in our modern day culture we like to think about. That we would possibly have a sin nature. Oh, there is good inside of us. It's that longing for the, 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 the garden in us. It's the longing that we have inside of us of when all things will be made right and all things will be made new. But you see at the fall in Genesis 3, sin came in and it began to corrupt the world. And it began to, to, to corrupt our humanity. And it brought about a sin nature. And this resurrected King Jesus, this now becomes the thing that we, 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 it is the foundation of our faith. It is the foundation of what we believe in our life. Dave Guzik, one of my favorite commentators, he has this to say about this passage. Even the act of taking our sin was an act of holy giving love for us. So that Jesus himself did not become a sinner, even though he bore the full guilt of our sin. This is the gospel message. This is the good news. That Jesus took our punishment for sin on the cross and remained a perfect savior through the whole ordeal, proved by his resurrection. I hope you feel a little bit more equipped already. And I hope you feel a little bit more encouraged already. You see, the resurrection is proof of the victory of Jesus over sin and death. His death shows us that he bore our sin. His resurrection shows us that he conquered our sin. I want to say that again so you have a chance to write that down if you want. The death of Jesus shows us that he bore our sin. His resurrection showed us that he conquered our sin. And again, this is good news. Craig Kinnear says this about this text. He says, some of the Corinthians dispute the future resurrection of believers. Essentially what he's saying here is it's, it, there, there are things that are disputable that we can talk about. We talk about them sometimes open-handed issues, closed-handed issues. It's okay. We can talk about those things. Those things are not in many ways the foundation of our faith. But what Craig Kinnear says here is so important. They cannot, however, dispute the past resurrection of Jesus. Because this is an established fact and the very foundation of our faith. I have a a daughter. I have three daughters. Wonderful, gorgeous, beautiful teenage daughters. Um... If you wonder why I have no hair, that's it. 
uh, plain and simple. And my oldest is 16. She'll be 17 this summer. She got her first job last year. And, and it's so fun to kind of watch her kind of grow into that and have a little bit of spending money and see the things she gets excited about spending money. And, and, and almost every other weekend, she'll either say to me or she'll call me and she'll say, Dad. I say, what, sweetie? She'll say, I need you to deposit my check in the bank on Monday at school so I'll have some money I'll say, okay, she works at Miko's. You guys can go see her. I'll post her schedule uh, and she'll go make you a great milkshake. It'll be wonderful. And so, you know, over the weekend, she'll, she'll get her deposit slip. She'll get the check. She'll write it all out. She'll get it ready for me. And typically what happens, I take her and Ava to school on Monday. We have four kids in four different schools. Don't try this at home. And, uh, and typically after I get the, the Ava dropped off, then I'll double back and I'll go to the bank and I'll, I'll drop that check in. And here's, here's why I want to illustrate this. She'll call me and she'll say, can you put the check in the bank for me? And my response to her always is this, yes, I can. Yeah, I can do that. I have the ability to go to the bank and I have the ability to deposit that check into her account for her. The difference is, is when I actually do it. It is the proof that I have that ability. Up until then, it's just talk. But then at that point, when I actually say, hey, have a good day to the teller and I drive off, it becomes the proof that I have that ability. And the resurrection of King Jesus is the proof that he defeated sin. And the resurrection of King Jesus is, becomes the foundation of our faith. That it wasn't just talk, it just wasn't theory, it wasn't ideas, but that it actually became proof of who he is and what he is capable of doing. Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. But the third thing that I want to encourage us and equip us in in this text this morning is this, is that the resurrection of King Jesus is God's plan A. There was never a moment in the plan of God where God went, oops, this was God's plan A. Listen to what Paul says here. Verse 3, For I received what I passed on to you as first importance, that Christ died for our sins, and underline this, according to the Scriptures. And then watch what Paul does again. That he was buried, and that on the third day, that he was raised on the third day, what? Say it aloud. According to the Scriptures. This was God's plan A. And Paul here connects. He's a student of the Old Testament. He's a student of the First Testament. He's a student of all of the Jewish law. He knows it by heart. And he knows this was God's plan A. This was set in motion long before you and long before I. We have simply stepped into one paragraph of the story in our lives. A couple of passages of Scripture that I want to highlight this Hosea uh, chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. The prophet Hosea, he writes this, Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will restore us, that we may live 
in his presence. Let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge him. As surely as the sun rises, he will appear. He will come to us like the winter rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. I don't have time this morning to read it all, but we're going to read it at the end to set up the Lord's Supper. But Isaiah 53 becomes one of the clearest passages of Scripture at the foreshadowing of our resurrected King and what he was going to do and what he was going to accomplish. And we'll read that before we take the Lord's Supper uh, this morning. But I would encourage you this week to go back and read Isaiah 53 and let your heart be enlarged that this was God's plan A. There was never a moment where God went, oh no, what are we going to do? This was God's plan all along. Jesus' work didn't just kind of come out of thin air. It was planned from all eternity and described prophetically throughout all the scriptures. Begin to think of story after story after story of the Old Testament. Abraham and Isaac. You can think of the exodus out of Egypt. Begin to think of Jonah and the whale. Begin to think of Noah and the ark. Begin to think of Rahab providing safety and shelter. Begin to think of Queen Esther delivering her people. Story after story after story point us to At that time, the once coming future king, now the resurrected king. This was God's plan A. There was no oopsie. This was God's plan A. And then fourth, and I need to hurry, but I want you to understand this. This is so important. This is maybe the most sort of apologetic-oriented portion of the message today. And this is the part I, I want you to get your mind around. If you're struggling, you, you, you want to be equipped. Like, I mean, what is the validity of all this, though? It's one of the most central passages of Scripture in all the Bible about the validity of the resurrection. Listen to this. 1 Corinthians 15, 5 through 7. And that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. And after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. Most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Here's what I want you to hear. Is that the resurrection of King Jesus was not a private event. This was not a pay-per-view event that, that just a select group of people got to see and experience. Jesus appeared publicly. And here in this passage of Scripture, it's as if Jesus is saying, or Paul is saying, hey, go ask them. They're still alive. These people that laid eyes on Jesus, resurrected body, they're still here. Go talk to them. And he begins to name them one after another. One commentator had this to say, for Paul, the, the fact that there's kind of doubt that slipped in the context again, for Paul, this is a betrayal of their whole identity in Christ. Jesus has been raised as hundreds of eyewitnesses have testified, some of whom are still alive at the same time Paul writes this. If he had not been raised, then there is no reason to continue being Jesus' followers. This was not a private event. This was put on display. And there were witnesses. And Paul here says, hey, if you've got doubts, just go ask them. 
And Hebrews talks about the fact that now we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. The testimony of our Lord lives in us through our lives. Just like what we sang earlier, we've seen God move the mountains and we believe he'll do it again. That the first way that he made that when it didn't seem like there was a way is that Christ died, Christ was risen, and we look forward to the fact that Christ will come again. And you are witnesses to that. You bear witness to that. So um, this week I got a, um, a new shirt. Actually, well, yeah, I got a new shirt. I'll, I'll just kind of pull this out. Um, so this is, um, this is the, the new shirt that I got it. Can you, can you read that? It's the, uh, the national championship. Well, actually I didn't just get this shirt. Um, I got, I got this shirt as well. Um, in case you, you're, you're just without any doubt. And well, I didn't just get that too. I, I also, I got the hat, um, and Ava got the socks and I think Kelly got a sweatshirt. You see, we were witnesses to an event. Now, we watched it on TV, but we were witnesses to an event. And now the, the way that we live our lives, sorry, Alabama fans, the way that we live our lives bears witness to the event that we witnessed. And just like our lives as followers of King Jesus bear witness to the events, the life change that has come because of that. In our home, we've been celebrating this moment. And we can take confidence that this event happened because we saw it, we witnessed it in our own eyes. And Paul is in essence saying the same thing here. There are people who have witnessed this, just go ask them. And you are witnesses. You are witnesses to the life change that has happened in your life. You are witnesses to the life change that has happened in friends and relatives. You are witnesses to the life change that, that if it was not for the grace of God, you are witnesses to that. And at the core of the gospel, there are things that happened. Actual, real, historical events. Christ died. Christ was buried. Christ was raised. And Christ will come again. The resurrection of King Jesus was not a private event. People saw him and people were witnesses to this resurrected body of Jesus. And here's the last thing this morning is that the resurrection of King Jesus has powerful implications for you. Powerful implications for you. Listen to what Paul writes here. For I am the least of the apostles. And he says, I don't even deserve to be called an apostle. Why? Because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I. But the grace of God that was with me. Gordon Fee, amazing commentator, he writes this, death 
for our sins, kind of reflecting back and pulling in what Paul begins to write here, means that one died on behalf of others to satisfy the penalty and to overcome the alienation. The death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus made us right with God. It brought us back into right standing with God. It, it renewed the relationship. If he goes on and he says this, in Pauline theology, this includes not only forgiveness of past sins, but in a very real sense, deliverance from the bondage of one's sinfulness as well. The resurrected King Jesus has powerful implications for our lives. And I want to say to you this morning, if you're struggling with, 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 with feeling encouraged because of the gospel, take encouragement from this, that Paul the persecutor became Paul the evangelist. Paul, the one that understood the grace of God more than we could ever begin to fathom, says, I didn't deserve it, but I was given it, and it changed my life. And he went all the way to the point to where he laid down his life for the sake of this message and the sake, for the sake of this good news. Here's what I want to say to you this morning. If the power of the gospel can rescue Paul, then the power of the gospel can rescue you. And that is good news. If the power of the gospel can rescue Paul, then the power of the gospel can rescue you. And if you need encouragement this morning, there it is. That the power of the gospel is not weaker than the power of sin that may feel that you have over your life right now that the power of the gospel is stronger and it is greater. If the power of the gospel can save Paul and rescue Paul, it can rescue you. Paul says here, he says, I'm the least of the apostles. Why? Go read Acts 8. He was a persecutor of the church. He gave the, the go-ahead. The first Christian martyr, Stephen, he gave the go-ahead, the marching orders, carry it out. Paul says, but grace was extended to me. This grace that saves also changes us. And just like Paul would say, we are becoming someone new, not someone defined by our past failures, but now as followers of the risen King Jesus, we become defined by the grace of God. If the power of the gospel can rescue Paul, then the power of the gospel can rescue you. I want to read this passage of scripture before the worship team leads us in a song. And it just makes me think, you know, reflecting on this, that Paul may have had these things just kind of running through his mind. Ephesians 2, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The spirit, of, uh, the, uh, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. 
but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive, alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. If you need encouragement this morning, there's your encouragement. And what I want us to do now is I want to invite you to stand. And we're going to sing a song and it just echoes this theme. And this morning, I just want to invite you just to pour out your heart to the Lord as we sing this. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. Hey, thanks for listening to the Grace Hill Podcast. We really hope you found this message compelling and inviting. If you'd like to connect with someone to find out more about Grace Hill Church, or maybe discuss this episode or something else about life or faith, please don't hesitate to reach out to us directly at gracehill901.com. We'd really love to connect and discuss anything with you. And please remember, you matter.